After such a wonderful meal, I know it's hard, but let's all stand. I'm going to bring the name of the Lord up high. Amen.
explaining Indescribable, uncontainable You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name You are amazing God All powerful All powerful, untamable Awestruck we fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim are amazing God Who has told every lightning bolt where it should go Or seen heavenly storehouses laden with snow Who imagined the sun and gave source to its Yet conceals it to bring us the coolness of night None can fathom, indescribable, uncontainable You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name You are amazing God All powerful All powerful, untamable, awestruck we fall to
deliverance, the exodus of my heart. You found me, you freed me, held back the waters for my release. Oh, Yahweh, you're the God who fights for me, Lord of every victory.
worship him tonight. Hallelujah. 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 Christ, 
that there is all power in your hands in heaven and in earth. And so we declare today that you reign and we give you thanks and praise as we glorify you in this place.
God is good all the time. All the time. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. Let's give God praise for his goodness. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You may be seated if you are able. <laughs> I didn't get the memo on who was doing the prayer tonight. I think it's John. So let's welcome John as he comes to lead us in a time of prayer. I want to ask you a couple of rhetorical questions. That means you don't need to answer them out loud. <laughs> yeah, and just Think about it to yourself and answer them in your head, in your heart. If your mother was to ask you to pray for something, would you? Do you want her to ask you when she has needs? 
interesting question. What about your brother? What about your sister? What about your brothers and sisters in the Lord? What about the founders of Eagle's Nest? What about a guy you work with who's not a believer? So then you agree that it's good for people to bring requests to you so that you can pray for them and be on their side and stand with them. Some of you may think this is a setup. You'd be right. It is. They're just going to read one verse, and then we'll go to prayer and praise. There's somebody that wants that very much. And he talks about it in Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, anxious for nothing, but in everything, everything by whining and crying and complaining and getting frustrated and getting angry and quitting oh no that isn't how it goes but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving what's it say folks say it out loud let your requests be made known to God. You do it for your mother. You do it for your brother. You do it for everybody else. And you're willing to. I leave it there. Father, we come before you humbly. Seeking your favor, Lord. We know you love us. We know you saved us. We know you heal us from our sinful nature and that you have the power to heal anything you want to heal. You created it all, Lord. We know it's all in your hands. We pray especially for these folks who are having physical situations right now, Steve Schmidt, Jimmy, Debbie, and there are others here who are having situations that might not seem openly to be as critical, but in each one of us, it's important to us what we're going through. And we're asking for your healing hand and your perfect will in your decisions about healing us. And that we are willing to accept that you know more about things than we do. And you know what's best for us. And that you, we know you want the best for us. Help us to accept your will in our lives. Help us to yield to your will in our lives. Bestow upon us, Lord, your grace, your love, your mercy, and that we show it to others, whether they be brothers and sisters in you or whether they be outside the flock. Help us to be a light that shows them you. Because as the song says, Lord, we know it's all about you. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. 
We thank you for what you do. We ask you to help each and every one of us be what you created us to be. To do what you created us to do. To say what you created us to say. Help us to follow your lead so we know when to do what we need to do and what to say when we need to say it and to who. Bring others into our presence, Lord, and then give us the words to say to them that may lead them to accept you as their personal Savior. Thank you for all your promises, Lord. Thank you for your promise of everlasting life with you. We praise you, we give you glory, we give you honor, and we submit ourselves to you as brothers and sisters, children of yours. Be with us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brother John. I was and I thought better of it going to say as a prayer request that I really wish that John would stop wrestling with angels because um, every time he gets on that cane, I know he's been in battle. However, if you tell John to stop wrestling with angels, do you really think that he'll listen? Nah, nah. <laughs> but thank you, Brother John. And once again, here we are on another wonderful Saturday. Um, get to be in the presence of of real people with real change and real issues and real things going on in your life. I heard uh, something on the television today. I had a few seconds to sit down, turn it on, and one of the preachers, I can't remember his name, it's a Baptist guy, um, but he's talking about how you don't go to a hospital and think that everybody in the hospital is just, well, there would be no point in the hospital. No, you go to a hospital and you find people who are sick, people who are dealing with issues, they're there for a reason, they're there to get better. And if you think it's just the patients in the hospital that need help, you'd be wrong. Because the same ones that will tell you, you know, you need to stop smoking, you need to quit doing this, you need to quit doing that, and then you go outside by the door, you'll see the same ones smoking and doing this and doing that. Which means that the place is not a place full of perfection, it's full of people who are on their way to being restored and made whole. And the same thing with the house of God. Here we are in the midst of people who aren't perfect, but we're being perfected. We're being raised up. We're being made whole. And what God does in Anthony's life to help restore him while I am struggling isn't meant for me to go, okay, you know what? He's doing better than I am. But to say, you know what? If God did it in his life, I'm going to hold tight to his promise because I know he can do it in mine. So each and every person's success story of what grace has done in their life is not for us to look at them as somebody different but to be able to say god is wonderful god is mighty i see him working in this way over here and in this way over here and it builds our faith it builds our trust it builds our confidence that god is able to do so in our lives so this is a confidence building place because if you think that we are a church of people being perfected with a perfect pastor you'd be wrong it's a it's a pastor who's being perfected just like the people are being perfected so I praise God for that because it's encouraging every week to come in here and then to leave 
And even though at times my job is to speak and to support and to serve, I get to go back and reflect on what I've heard and what people have said. And sometimes even just the silliest of jokes to bring humor into my life. Believe me, I went to work and told somebody about the ro robots in disguise, and they, they looked at me with the same look. So, um, And if you want to know what robots, are, robots in disguise are, you can ask uh, our brother Kevin after the service while we're eating cake. So if you have your Bible today, turn to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. We're going to be talking about fitness. Because, um, you know, we just ate. It's a, we're going to be talking about fitness. In, in a way, <laughs> not the fitness that you're thinking of, but we're actually going to be talking about finishing the race, which is a form of fitness, but it's finishing the race because each and every one of us has a race that's set before us. And it's important to know we don't select the race. There's a race that is set before us. And each and every one of us is on trajectory to complete this race. And it's important to know that because it is important to finish the race. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and we're going to be reading verses 1 and 2. Would you all stand in honor of reading God's word? The Bible says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you, eager to hear your spirit, eager to hear you, and you speaking to us as to what you would have for us. So, Lord, tonight we pray that it is not the words of man, but the words of the Spirit, in however way and whatever form you choose to speak to us, but let it not only embolden us, but let it become a part of us that we may be able to live and to serve according to your promises and in confidence of your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if you have a special Bible... And mine's not necessarily special, it's just mine. However, it says the race of faith, the race of faith. If you look at the chapter that's before this, because in order to see what the therefore is therefore, you have to look before <laughs> to see what it's building on top of. So Hebrews chapter 11 is the what? Hall of faith. So we read about all these people who believed in God and took God at his word and went out and did some impossible things, some improbable things, things that they shouldn't be able to do, but they did because God said so. God said go, he was faithful at his word, and people were in position to see the fulfillment of God's word, and you saw miracles and mighty works happen most of the time. Then you saw the miracle and mighty work of people who started out on a journey that they did not see the fulfillment of the promise, but they started the foundation for others to do so. Abraham never saw Israel become a country. He dwelt in the land. Moses was instrumental for 120 years. That's a long time. Now, he was only with the children of Israel for how many? 40. 
So 40 in Egypt being built up, 40 in the wilderness being built up. And every single point in his journey wasn't irrelevant. All 80 of those years was training for him to run the race that was set before him. And even though he did not in that form see Israel because he died before they entered into the land, his faith and his relying upon God's grace in order to get him through what he needed to go through to lead this mass of people in this exodus from Egypt, and really we call it the exodus, but the exodus stopped when they crossed the Red Sea. On this journey to Canaan's land, even though he never saw the fulfillment of the promise, he was the foundation for Joshua, Phineas, Caleb, Eliezer, and so many others to enter in and take the promise that God had set before them. So all of these didn't operate because they had a good idea, because this wind of, uh, of good fortune just befell them and they said they needed to do something with it. No, they operated based on God said and they followed. And for each and every one of them, it was a race. Not against other people. It's a race for them to get from one point to another in order to finish the work that God had set before them. This particular set of verses reminds us of several things. Number one, it says, uh, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, I've heard it preached, and believe me, preachers can preach differently, sometimes not quite accurately. Uh, my pastor would tell you once about a, a, a minister in the South, <laughs> And he would preach on, he preached once, on um, the resurrection. And he preached, and the angels were standing there with the stone rolled away. And they were standing there with their guns. Now, mostly accurate, I'm pretty sure angels don't need guns. <laughs> so they were mostly accurate. But every now and again, the flesh can get in there and say some things that probably don't align with scripture and I'm not immune from that however when you look at we are encompassed by so great a cloud of witnesses a lot of people will preach and think that this scripture means that we are running a race with a whole lot of people watching us run this race now to a certain extent there are people on earth who are watching you on your journey yes but these witnesses aren't witnessing you they're witnessing Christ. They're witnesses for Christ. And each and every one of these, Moses, um, even Aaron to a certain extent, um, Noah, uh, all of these, uh, so Rahab, uh, Ruth, <laughs> well, different Ruth, but Ruth, all of these and so many more are witnesses to the goodness of God. Just like in Acts, the second chapter, you shall be witnesses unto me. You shall be witnesses unto me, not unto others. You're going out proclaiming what you have seen of the goodness of God, of his mercy, of his grace, of his love. And so when this, 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 this group in the 11th chapter are being spoken of as witnesses, they're not witnessing your actions. They're witnessing God's actions that benefit you and the rest of mankind. They're speaking to the goodness of Jesus and what God has been planning since Adam, before Adam, decided to eat off the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So these witnesses aren't 
there to watch us and go, oh, yeah, go, you can go. They're there proclaiming the goodness of God. When we run this race, now the language makes sense because the people who are going to be reading this are used to Roman um, games and Roman games have witnesses and coliseums and all these people watching you as you go on this conquest for personal dominance and all these things. Well, this race that we run is not about personal dominance and me standing out with the gold WWE title belt that I can wear because somebody scripted for me to win the race. <laughs> Uh, the wrestling people ain't going to like me too well about that. But it's true. <laughs> Nobody wins in the WWE. They script who wins. However, we don't run races like that. We run a race to finish the work that God set before us. And as we run, we are also witnesses to the goodness and glory of Christ Jesus and telling other people about it. As we set out to run this race, then he warns us about laying aside every weight that so easily and every sin which so easily ensnares us. It's important to know when we run this race that we think like people who actually run races, who actually are involved in some sort of athletic activity. You watch football players, even the 300 pound ones. Do they eat just whatever they want? No, even though they ate something to get the 300 pounds, because you don't get there very easily, and, and it's 300 pounds of muscle and 300 pounds, and they're able to move. And some of these people, these linebackers, these centers, these guards that play football can outrun some of us. But they design what they eat, and they do certain things, and they leave a lot of things alone so they can stay in that shape. So when the Bible tells us lay aside so every uh, sin, and every weight that so easily besets us, we can easily look in our mind and go, I know this is sinful, I know this hinders me, and this is bad, so I need to leave this alone, or at least try to leave this alone, or I need to go to God and say, I can't get rid of this thing in my life because it bags me down. We understand sin, but the weight part of it's a whole nother ball game because we easily, most of the time, recognize sin as something that holds us back. We don't easily look at our wealth as something that holds us back. Our car is something that holds us back. Our talent as something that holds us back. Our good looks and charm, which nobody in here has a problem with, holds us back. <laughs> and if you think your good looks and charm is what gets you uh, uh, all the accolades, just wait a good 30, 40 years. It'll happen. But we think that all of these attributes and accolades are what makes us important. But at the end of the day, sometimes your job can weigh you down from your race. Sometimes your talent can weigh you down from your race. When you, you say, well, how does that work? Y'all, most of y'all know, if not all of y'all know where I work, what I do. And for a while, uh, before I moved to Days, for a while, where I worked and what I did involved going from 7 o'clock at night till 7 in the morning on a good day, both managing somewhere between 30 different moving pieces, if I was lucky, on that night and all in operation, outside the building, inside the building, while I am trying to outwork them at the same time. So by the time I got home, I was mentally tired. I was physically tired, and guess what? That weight 
would weigh me down so much that it was a struggle to pray, a struggle to study, a struggle to fellowship, a struggle to uh, uh, just go out and hang out with people. Mark would get on me all the time. Where are you going after church? Well, I got to go back to work. Why? <laughs> Him and John can be quite forceful when they want to be. But it, was, it wasn't anger, it was concern. Is this thing that you're holding on to such a heavy weight that it is interfering with your ability to run the race that God has set before you? And it was. And there was a lot of prayer, a lot of threatening, a lot of positioning in order for that weight to get set aside. And I got moved to where I'm at now to where it's pretty much a nine hour day and then kick rocks. <laughs> Which gives me, theoretically, where's Eric? Theoretically, it gives me time to do the other things that I do. And yet still, my schedule is very run, 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 go here, go there. But at least I'm at a point where I'm not as hindered as I used to be. That is one example of something that is not necessarily sin, but it can weigh you down from being, excuse me, from being able to run like you are supposed to be. Every sin in every way. Because at the end of the day, you realize in this race, the one thing that you are running for is to finish the work that God has set before you. And there is a reward for doing that. But beside the reward, the thing is, for me to fulfill the call in my life that God has set before me, eventually start and for you eventually starts becoming more important than the prison that you are currently sitting in you say wait 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 wait! i ain't in prison i'm free are you free are we singing this song i am free to run and all that and, and that's great but the thing about it is even as a christian in this system this world system in this body are we really free to worship and serve and to live for God like we are supposed to? No, because we weren't run. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We get tired, so we can't stay up for 24 hours a day witnessing and doing all these other things because we will get tired. We will be dangerous. This body has to rest, so it can't keep up. And really, until death is conquered, this world is really just holding us back from where we're supposed to be. You say, well, I'm, I'm just going to leave right now. You better not. <laughs> you better not. Because it's important for you to finish the work that God has called for you. Which means he says, you're going to run this race until you're 80. Well, you're going to run this race until you're 80. If he says you're going to run this race to 120 like Moses, you're going to run this race to your 120 like Moses. And Moses didn't have a whole lot of boring moments in his 120 years. In order to run this race, you also need endurance. Say that with me, endurance. When I tried running, and it didn't last for very long, and I don't mean running like, um, you know, like when I was younger. Because when I was younger, we would run for two reasons. We're either running to compete, or we're running so that we don't go to jail. <laughs> You'd be surprised at how motivated you can be when dogs are after you. So, <laughs> so that was about it. We didn't spend time running. We didn't run track. We didn't do anything. Most of those times when you were running like that, it's zero to 100 miles an hour. Boom. And you go until the wheels give out. That's not how this race is supposed to be. 
I never ran marathons. Later on, I tried the whole running several miles thing. I got one mile in, stopped, started over, did kind of another mile, and that's about how I tried to accomplish two miles. I didn't do the whole thing. Couldn't do the whole thing. Because you know what happens, especially if you haven't done it. Your knees start to complain. Your lungs start to complain. Next thing you know, and I don't know where this is, but there's something over here that really starts complaining. <laughs> like there's some muscle that's the, the only purpose it's there for is to complain when you start running long distances. I don't know how they do it. Well, I do know how they do it. But you don't run a marathon like at full blast. You don't do that. You run a marathon by pacing yourself and building yourself to a pace. And you find your position and you find your pace and you pick your moments. Whether you're doing NASCAR, which is pretty much the same thing. Yeah, they drive at a high rate of speed, but if you watch them go around this track, really it's about pacing and positioning. Not running flat, full bore. Whoops, somebody shut that thing off, please. But what'll happen is, you're going to drive, in NASCAR, you're gonna drive, if you just drive full speed, guess what happens? You're gonna end up running into lap traffic. Y'all know what lap traffic is? You done ran so fast that you left behind everybody you thought you were racing against only to run right into the slow pokes. And guess what happens? The speed is gone, because now you're behind the pack and you're moving slow and all these things. Well, even in a marathon, if you see this guy ahead of you, and you know how most marathon runners are, they weigh about 120 pounds, about six feet tall, and they don't speak the same language as you, and these guys have been running for years. You don't get into this race and go, I'm gonna get him, and then that gun goes off, and you're like, all right, I'm just gonna go full bore, and I'm gonna get ahead of him, and then I'm gonna stop and just stay ahead of him. No, no, you will burn yourself out. I learned that from an old man on a prison yard. We all decided to race several laps around the track at Mori Unit. We did not last. And this old man, when we, when we started, somebody said go. I even think it was a guard being cute. And he said go. He didn't shoot the gun, but he said go. And so the young guys, we're all running, and we're running full sprint. I think we were supposed to make two laps around the track. We're running full bore. All right, we're going to get him. And this old man, he just. <laughs> and we're running, and he's just still just trotting along. Yeah, this old man, we're humoring him. Next thing you know, we get about a three quarters of the way around the track. We start slowing down. We start doing that, you know, that move that most of us know. <sighs> and then we see this old man coming. And we try to go a few more feet. <laughs> And then we stop and we go back to this, and that old man did not miss a beat. He just right past us, went around the track, came back around the track the second time, <laughs> right past us, ended, and then went and showered and did whatever he had to do. And we're limping off the field, and he's just, and, and we're like, what's the deal? He was like, this isn't that kind of race. So I've been doing this for years. You pick a pace, you stick with it. You move as efficiently as possible. You pick your moments. You pick your spots. But guess what? Eventually, all those people that are just going to run full board, you're going to run right past them. You find a pace. You balance yourself. 
And that's a very important lesson that I took to heart, even in my Christian walk. I can't be super Christian, turn around and say, you know what, I'm going to set the world on fire. I'm going to say, Lord, what's the pace? What is it you need me to do? Because if you try to get ahead of God or behind God, two things are going to happen. You're either going to become wildfire and end up hurting somebody because you are just rambunctious, full of energy, without direction. Or you are going to be a cold coal sitting in the back of the church. Not that you guys in the back of the church are cold, but sitting in the back of the church with no life in you whatsoever because you're burnt out. You have to pace yourself. You have to find the position that you're supposed to be in. Another thing about this race before we get into where we're supposed to be, it's a race that's set before us. It's not something that we pick. It's not something that we say, okay, you know what? I'm going to go the direction I feel like going. I'm going to go start the church where I feel like starting. I'm going to go serve the ministry. You go where you're led. And so when you run the race that's set before you, you may think you have an idea of what you're going to do in life, but how often have we checked in with our Lord and said, what is it you would have for me to do? What direction would you have for me to go? I remember once our church had talked about moving to Alaska. I have no idea why people would want to move to Alaska. I, I had no idea then why people would want to move to Alaska. We had this great big conversation about moving to Alaska, of which I objected. Um, <laughs> but the thing about it is, even in, the, in my youth, there was a, is God calling us to Alaska? Or are we supposed to be here in Arizona? Nah, that doesn't sit right. We have our ideas of where we want to go and serve. But have we said, Lord, what is the race that you have set before us? Lastly, before we go into what we need to go into, this also points to what we focus on when we race. We look to Jesus. That is the author and finisher of our faith. I don't look at Kevin and say, I need to run a race like he does. That wasn't, a, that wasn't, a, I wasn't knocking at you. Because, and, and, and we kind of were joking about that, but the thing about it is, I have a cup in which I'm supposed to serve and I'm supposed to drink out of and I'm supposed to basically operate from. Whatever the size of the mug is, it might be one of them gigantic, you know, diabetes causing Circle K coolers. <laughs> And whatever it is, it's what God has for me. Now, if, if somebody else comes along, let's say he comes along and says, I'm going to drink out the same thirst buster as Sekou. But God didn't call him to do that. He says, I didn't want you to drink out of this. The cup I have for you is this. If you fulfill that cup, you've done what I've called you to do. But he will look at this cup and go, but I want to be like that. And that's not what God called him to do. And he will get overwhelmed. By the same token, if Sekou says, you know what? I'm going to go over here and I'm going to drink his cup, which is like that. I'm going to end up being uh, out of place because I am not fulfilling what God has called me to do. The size of the cup doesn't matter. The size of the responsibility doesn't matter. It's the obedience of the servant to respond to the call of the master that matters. So we run the race that is set before us and we look to Jesus Christ and his example. And then it goes on into despising the shame. In other words, in order for him to run the race that he ran, to finish the work that he ran, it was not pleasant. There were pleasant moments, of course, yes. 
He spent time with disciples. He trained. He taught. He fellowshiped with people. He shared light. And then there were some days where he was attacked. He was chased. He was ran out of places uh, and eventually set before the magistrates and then crucified. But he didn't look at the cross as the end. He looked past the cross at the joy that was set before him. The joy of restoring what was fallen back to its rightful place. So he looked at the joy as he sustained the pain. And the same thing for each and every one of us. We sustain the dark moments in our life, not by being immersed in them, but recognizing them for what they are, but realizing this isn't the end of my journey, that my God has called me down here to an eternal joy. So this temporary pain and this temporary suffering is only but a moment and it shall pass. We can fall into the trap of looking at the moment that we are in as if that moment is all eternity, and it is not. That moment is but a moment. It may be a long moment, but it is still but a moment. I guarantee you, with the exception of the few people in here who have not been to prison, may have been to jail, but not prison, that when you went in, you thought that sentence was going to be the longest thing ever. <laughs> How am I going to make it to this date that's set for some of us in a completely different century? <laughs> but somehow, you're here. You made it. And last time I checked, while, while I, after the meeting, and I watched people eat, I didn't see too many frowny faces. There was some joy. Now, you may not have seen yourself in this place, but in order to get through that moment, you needed to see past the darkness you were experiencing. Some of us look for an, uh, what, what, a release date. Some of us look to see our parents once more. Some of us just wanted to see grass, real grass, in its natural habitat with mul multiple blades of grass around it, not just this one blade that would just show up out of nowhere and everybody would look at it like a cow looks at a new gate. Whoo, green. <laughs> to see real grass and to be around real people and family. Now, I knew real people in prison, but there's a difference between being in prison and dealing with what's presented to you and then being out of prison and having freedom. Much the same way as being in the world, there are things presented to you, but the true freedom for us is gonna be when we leave this mortal coil and go spend eternity with our Lord. Now, turn to John, or actually it should be on the board because I think I gave it to him. John chapter five, because it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Well, Jesus told the people that were around him uh, and he was getting on them about John's witness and you guys listen to John's witness he says but I have a greater witness than John's what is he witnessing he's witnessing of the father and his work towards creation for the works which the father has given me to finish the very works that I do bear witness of me that the father has sent me so there was a mission for Jesus to accomplish and if he'd have left them half done, would he really have fulfilled the calling that he had for his life? No, wasn't pleasant, but he recognized that he had works to finish. Well, where does that leave us? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 
This is Paul speaking. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. Necessity is laid upon me. In other words, I got a job to do. I got a job to do. Some of y'all think, well, say, who preaches and he does this? And wow, you know, it's a job. Honestly, at the end of the day, it's really a job. Because I can sit down and, and Kevin can get up here. Um, Mark can get up here. John can get up here. And, and then some of the people who eventually will be getting up here can preach. And I will be sitting there going, I need to hear this. I need to adhere to this. I need to uh, uh, take this in. Like, for instance, when Mark spoke last week, I wasn't above, or two weeks ago, I was not above um, when he talks about the idols and the idols we follow. I didn't sit over there and go, huh, there are no idols in my life. He has nothing to teach me because I am the pastor. No. <coughs> I have a job to do, and it's one, when it's my time to listen, I listen. And when he spoke those things, I said, you know what? I see this. I see this. I see this. Lord, you got to help me with this. Lord, I need your grace in this because I am even though I have a job to do, essentially a part of the body of Christ and a saint being perfected just like everybody else in this room and in that room. So Paul recognized it's a job. If I preach the gospel, it's the work that's set before me. I have nothing to boast of for necessity is laid upon me. As a matter of fact, woe is me if I do not do my job. What's the next verse? For if I do this willingly, I have a reward but if against my will i have been entrusted with a stewardship in other words god rewards and you'll see later on that reward is a crown but god rewards the people that finish the work that was given for them to do and each and every person in this room has a work that they were called to do that is the race that you are running it's not just an aimless race for a finish line and we go okay i gotta break the ribbon and be the first one to do it to show everybody else behind me that I'm better. That's not the race that we run. The race that we run is that we are running to finish our course. And instead of breaking a ribbon, we are running into open arms of our Lord saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the kingdom. So when he is talking about his job, yes, he, he has a reward if he does what God has called him to do. But. If against his will, he still has been entrusted in order to do the job that was set before him. Next verse. He says, I, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Go back. You're moving too fast. I don't read that fast. Come on now. <laughs> am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? Next verse. If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Your works will be evident in what God has around you. We'll, we'll leave that alone for now. Maybe we'll do that next week. Next verse. My defense to those who examine me is this. We are way past where we're supposed to be because we need to go to 24. <laughs> Do you not know that those who run a race, now this is the point, is that he's associating the work that he's called to do with the race that he is called to run. Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but one receives the prize? He's speaking to people that understand uh, these kind of sporting events. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Next verse. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. 
Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for a imperishable crown. So this work that he has to do is his race. You say, well, what about salvation? Technically, the moment you give your life to Christ, what are we considered to the world? Dead. Dead. There is nothing that this world has for us once we cross that line of salvation. This isn't talking about salvation. Salvation is a done deal. As a matter of fact, once you are saved, God could take you in that moment and you have your home in heaven with him just because of the work of salvation. This isn't talking about eternal life. This is talking about a crown. This is talking about a reward for completing what you were called for. And Paul associates it with a race. And all of the rules and all of the things that we look at in that race are an analogy to how we go from point A to point B. There is a joke. Uh, <laughs> there is a joke. I don't remember. I think it was Dr. Demento or um, uh, some, something because it was done in a British accent. But they were talking about um, the Amsterdam Games and the Amsterdam Marathon. For those of y'all that don't know about Amsterdam, Amsterdam has a history associated with marijuana. So when they were talking about the Amsterdam Marathon, it was basically a bunch of people who would, pow, the gun would start, and they would take off running, and they're never seen from again. <laughs> there's no direction. There's no nothing. They're just running. They're just, they're just gone. And you never see them because they don't even know where they're going. That's not our walk. Our walk in fulfilling the call is to say, okay, God, where do you need for me to go? And we keep going with persistence and with patience in each direction that he calls us. We may not necessarily know where the finish line is or when the finish line is, but we do know one thing. We follow the lead of our Savior wherever it is that he takes us as we run this race until he says, well done, your time here is over. You have fought the good fight. And now it is time for you to come home. Now, there's no way we're going to get through all of this, and that's fine. But I do want to say one thing before we continue, because it has been asked of me before. And this is a pretty serious question. If a saint commits suicide, does that absolve them from going to heaven? <coughs> to which my answer was no, but there was some explanation to that. And it was an unsettling answer. But guess what? Does suicide really take away salvation we could argue that for days but I will tell you this suicide does take away your ability to finish the work you were called to do so whether you look at it one way or the other I would ask myself the question am, am I taking myself out of the race which means I am not finishing what I am called to do because ultimately our purpose is not to be manager, to be the best singer in the world, to do all of these different things, to work in a high school, to work for, uh, uh, I, I, I keep wanting to say Dunphy, but that's a TV show, Duper, to work for peddlers. No, that is not our eternal mission here on earth. Our eternal mission, our job here on earth is to run the race that God has called us and finish the work that he has appointed us to. Now, there are some things that will happen, and I will cover them briefly. Number one, as you set yourself to finish the work that God has called you to do, to run the race, you are going to find that you will need a sense of commitment, discipline, and focus. 
Discipline isn't what you think it is. It's not paddling. That's called punishment. Discipline is to train you in such a way that this is what you need to do in order to be successful. The other side of discipline is you taking that training and practicing it in your daily walk. I know I need to do this to be successful. I know I need to walk like this to be successful. So there are two sides to discipline. What you are taught and then you practicing what you are taught. For everybody who runs a race in a natural setting, you have to learn the form, you have to learn how not to destroy your knees, how to breathe, and all of these different things. So somebody is either yelling at you or they're you know, talking to you, but one way or another, they are coaching you in how to do it. But then when you start running and you learn those techniques, you don't go into the race and throw them away. You practice those techniques until it's second nature. So for some of us in this Christian race, prayer should be second nature. Study should be second nature. Fellowship should be second nature. All of these different things that sometimes we fight to do to maintain our Christian discipline really should be second nature. Because God has already taught us what we need to do in order to, be, uh, in order to keep our minds focused on him. There are things that we should listen to and things we shouldn't. There are things we should watch and things that we shouldn't. And all of these different things, because even though, you know, it might be funny, is it really helping me run the race that I am supposed to run? No, I'm not talking about just family guy. All of these different things, I keep myself away from so that I can be the trained runner that God has called me to be, to finish the work he has called me to finish. While you are going through this road, though, you will be attacked while you are going forward. Most of us know that. James, the first chapter, verses 1 through 4. Um, James, the bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. Hello. Next verse. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Hmm. I'm, now now I'm, I'm doing the finger-wagging thing at... Uh, count it all joy did you count it all joy while you were going through what you were going through <laughs> now he may not have went home all the time going I'm so happy he might have went home frustrated and angry and wanting to say some choice words but he looked at the joy of the promise set before him and said you know what I'm, I'm trusting you. As a matter of fact, I even heard his testimony. Lord, I'm trusting in you. I'm just relying on you. And even towards the end, here comes the attack. You know what, Ray? You're going to have to stay on this shift a little bit longer. I said, you know, that's between him and, and, and Pena, his boss at the time. And I'm going to leave that alone. And, and, and even my boss was like, I don't know about that. And I said, I don't want no drama. Because if you push this man, he will walk to where he needs to go. And that's going to be on y'all. Next thing you know, he ends up where God promised him he would be. It wasn't always fun. But God fulfilled his word. We're going to go through so many different things while we run this race. And the testing of our faith, the testing of us listening to God and saying, you will keep your word, produces patience. Not the fact that I just have faith. Yes, my God will take care of all my needs according to his riches and glory. Okay, that's great. But when you say it, all of a sudden, here comes everything to say, 
well, hath God said that you will be taken care of? Or, you know, did he really mean that he will only take care of the things that he chooses to take care of, but you'll have to fend for yourself over here? It's the same old argument. We can go to Genesis 3, but we're not. <laughs> the testing of your faith works patience. That same word patience is the same word for run the race with endurance that we read in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. In other words, where you learn how to have endurance is from being tested in your faith. Where you learn how to have endurance. I'm letting that sit for a reason. Because the only way that you're going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger is to do what? To go get in the gym and lift all those barbells and all of that stuff, testing your body. You don't get strength by going, I'm going to drink a magical soda and <laughs> yoked. <Can> no. <laughs> Can of spinach? No, it doesn't work like that. You're going to get in the gym. You're going to test your body. You're going you're to find out where your line is, and you're going to push past it, and then you find that you learn strength because you tested yourself. Well, when your faith is tested, that's where your strength is developed. And sometimes the testing of your faith is not a pleasant process. Because you will rely on God's word and we walk by faith and not by sight, which means as we are walking according to God's word, the, word is, the world is showing us everything but. It's showing us its worst. It's showing us darkness and demonic possession and all these other things so much that even though you are trying your hardest to hold on to that faith that God uh, to, of God's promise you find yourself listening to the news and going through all these things and going you know what Lord and the danger is you can run into the same problem that John the Baptist had while he was in prison in a dark moment after spending all that time prophesying about the coming of the one whose shoes he is not worthy to tie he sends message from prison to the Lord and saying are you he or should we look for another that's a test that's a serious test. Had he come out on the other side of it, and we don't know how that was resolved, but had he said, you know what, no matter what I'm going through, that is still the light you need to look to, his faith would have been tested and it would have built his endurance even that much more so. The testing of your faith works patience. I'm going to move forward for time's sake. Where you go when you are led in this race is where you are fed in this race. Is where you are sustained, is where you get your strength from, is where you find yourself being fulfilled. We won't go to John the fourth chapter. Y'all can read that later. But think about it. When you answer the call of God and go where he calls you to go, he feeds you in the way that he takes you. John, not John, but Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me this place, he leads me that place, he does this, he does that. And then it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. In other words, I'm not going through sunny tulips and green grass and everything's all bright and shiny and sunny. The valley of the shadow of death, that's a test. But at the end of the day, I know that my Savior is with me, and if he has me here, then I know in the meadow he has me covered. But then he leads him from the valley of shadow of death 
to a table that's prepared for him in the presence of his enemies. He wasn't fed in the meadow. He followed the lead and the shepherd fed him as he led him. In other words, you may think that your fulfillment in ministry is going to come from trying to be a musician like Kevin or trying to be a preacher like, like Mark. No. Your fulfillment in ministry is going to come from following the direction of the Spirit in your life where he says go and you follow and you find that you are sustained, that you are fulfilled, that you are fed because you are following his lead. Lastly, you have to deal with injury while you're running the race. Every player in any sport has to deal with the body being stressed and strained to the point where an ankle might get twisted all the way to a bone might get broken. Fainting, falling, failing is all part of any race as you are learning how to run it. As you are a Christian and you're on your Christian race, guess what? Do you do everything perfectly? My pastor used to tell me that there's no such thing uh, 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 as a perfect sermon. And when you go to God and get your grade, he's going to give you a C. See, you did this right, but see, you could have did this better. <laughs> there's no such thing as a perfect sermon. If you're trying to preach the perfect sermon or write the perfect song or do the perfect thing for faith, you're going to find that you're going to be set up for the perfect disappointment. You're going to go as you are led. And sometimes it is the, 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 the fighting through injury that shows the true strength. Now, I'm not talking about broken bones, but I'm talking about sometimes as a Christian, you end up in a position that you don't want to be in. You end up in a position that you find yourself struggling to run the race. For the Christian, that injury means that you stop relying on the spirit and you start relying on your flesh to try and do the work that you're called to do. That's a trap that can happen easily. Oh, I got this. I know how to do this. I'm strong enough to do this. And we stop relying on grace and we start relying on flesh. And when we start relying on flesh to accomplish ministry, we find ourselves getting irritated and angry and frustrated, and eventually we start taking it out on the very people that we are called to serve. Can you imagine a shepherd beating the sheep? But there are shepherds and there are servants who get upset because they feel overwhelmed in their work, that they start relying on flesh and they can't make up the difference with flesh and they end up taking it out on the very people that not only are they called to love, they're called to serve. You say, well, what's the remedy? In Isaiah 40, 28, the Bible says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? That's who we're supposed to be following. However, in the flesh, we find ourselves having any number of problems in our walk. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. That's not a maybe, it's a promise. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We quote that scripture often. That word wait does not mean that I'm sitting down waiting for my strength to build up so that I can get back in the race. When I realize that I am in my flesh and that I am starting to fail and starting to fall, what the word encourages me to do is to wait upon the Lord and see my strength be renewed. But that wait, the word kava, doesn't mean sit. It means to bind yourself while you're waiting. It means to make yourself a part, intertwined with the promise that you've been given. It is to hold on for dear life to what you know to be right and true. And when you start getting realigned back to where you're supposed to be, you start to see your spirits lifted. You start to see your strength return. You start to see grace pour back into your life because it's not pressed out by the flesh. You are now binding yourself back to where you're supposed to be. And you find that having strength in ministry comes easily once again and not feeling overwhelmed because you're trusting God comes easily once again because you're not trying to stand on your own and do it in your flesh. You are now running the race by the power of the Holy Spirit. These runners, when I watch them catch their second wind, hasn't happened yet. But when I watch them catch their second wind, they describe that. They're running to the brink, to the point where they realize, you know what, my body can't keep up with where my mind is trying to go. And all of a sudden, something happens, and their body feels this second sudden burst to where they feel like they can run forever. I have yet to see that happen. However, <laughs> however, as a Christian, I do know that I have been to the points where it's like, Lord, I am at rock bottom. I do not see any other direction that I can go. I feel like the flesh is overwhelming. I feel like there is no way out of this. I am a miserable, mu mass muddled mess of confusion. And I got to bring myself before the people of God and come fellowship, not feeling like the saints that I see them to be. And God says, you're in your flesh. You need to bind yourself to me. You need to start reminding yourself of where your strength comes from you need to start getting back to focusing on me get back to your discipline get back to the focus of what this race is all about it's not about you it's not about your ability it's not about your righteousness it is about the call that I have given you the grace I have poured into you and the righteousness that I put upon your life so get back in tune with me be filled with my spirit, sing songs of joy, and get back out there and do the job that I have called you to do. And when you realize that you've been realigned to your source of strength, all of a sudden, what your flesh is doing doesn't matter because you are trusting God and are able to do it in the strength that he supplies. 56.9%. You know what that number is? It's a sports number. We're going to close in 2 Timothy, but I want to see who knows it. 56.9%. There is somebody who ran a race in the NBA. It's considered one of the best basketball players ever. Yeah, you can argue LeBron. Yeah. But this player's name is? Michael Jordan. His shooting accuracy. 56.9%. That's pretty good, but it's not perfect. That means that the great Michael Jordan, however many championships he won with the Chicago Bulls, however many other sports that he went into and then left to go back to basketball, to go back into and then go on a team because he couldn't play anymore. No matter what, 56.9, that's pretty good. 
That also means that 44.1% of the time he missed, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. If those odds are what we consider to be a real good player is that they were accurate almost 60% of the time without being led, imagine each and every one of us because I guarantee you when we try to do right, we're not going to do right 56.9% of the time. That's absurd. Michael Jordan wasn't perfect. We're not perfect. But as we run this race, we are being perfected. It's not our job to look at it and go, you know what, I need to be better than so-and-so, I need to be better than so-and-so. It's our job to look at Christ Jesus and the work that he has for us and the example that he set for us and to align ourselves with him and say, you know what, Lord, you've called me for a calling. And I trust you to help me with this calling. But I am following you until you call me home. In closing, because we're skipping a lot, but that's all right. In closing, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. This is Paul, once again, writing, knowing he is about to die. Do we have that one on the board? No? He said no. Not enough space. So I will read it. And if you're the... Second Timothy. I don't know why I'm in James. Second Timothy, chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. This is somebody who spent most of their run looking towards Jesus Christ. Saw conflict, saw failure, saw falling, but still strived to finish the work he was given to do. And his testimony to Timothy and to, rest, to the rest of us is this. Verse 5. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to those who have loved his appearing. He recognized that there is conflict in faith. He fought the good fight. He recognized as he went through this life that he finished the race, which means he had to endure and to keep the faith, which means he had to protect what he had from all the different things that would come try and take it away from him to try and get him to doubt and try and get him to go so many different directions. But his testimony was, I have finished the work that it was called for me to do. He didn't bemoan his death. He didn't whine and say, I don't have enough time. In another scripture, he says he counted his time here and the rest of his life is meaningless because he was trying to attain do we look at our life here on earth in this world system with the things that we are called to do as what gives us, do we look at that as that is what gives us value? Or do we look at the calling that we have on our life, the reason why we are still here on this earth and God has not called us home and said, I have a work to do. I have a race to run. I have something to finish and I need to get 
about my father's business and finish the race that I am called to run. You may think that you're insignificant. You may think that your race is uh, undefined and meaningless. And you may not get all the answers when you start out. But just like Moses, 40 years in Egypt taught him how to run the race that he was given, followed by 40 years in the wilderness, which also trained him and taught him for the race that he was called to run. And then 40 years to practice the principles and things that he learned and follow the leading of the Lord in order to accomplish the work that he was called to do. Your work and your training didn't start when you came to the least of these or accepted Christ in prison or all these different things. Your work started when the Father says, I have selected this one for this. And you'd be surprised at how many things in your life have trained you to be attentive, to be sensitive, to be aware, to be compassionate. So that when it came time for you to lace up your tennis shoes and run the race that God has called you to run, you'd be surprised at how many tools he has already not only put under your belt, but also restored to their right use so that you can run equipped to the call that he has given you. Don't overlook your paths and say, well, I'm glad that's over. But look at it as, Lord, you've brought me over. You've delivered me. You've brought me through. What is it through that test, that trial, that challenge that I went through are you using to equip me for the work you have called me to? Let's pray. Father, each and every person in this room has a race set before them, and we know that. Lord, sometimes we need direction, sometimes we need guidance, but most importantly, we need to know that you are with us on this race. Let us hear your voice, see your joy. Let us follow your lead so that we can run the race as you have called us to run and finish the work you have called each and every one of us to do. Help us, Lord, to be maintained as we go through the valley by your feeding us and leading us and guiding us even in those dark times. Help us, Lord, to be sustained when we are on the mountaintop and everything is going great. Let us not forget your goodness and your love and your patience and your long-suffering no matter what season you have us in. But Lord, help us to finish the work. Help us to recognize, know, respond, and complete the task that you have for each and every one of us to do no matter what setting you put us in. Father, you are great in everything that you do. Help us, Lord, to be the runners you have called us to be until you call us home to be with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you all stand as we close? Did not intend to take that amount of time, but the awareness of it, to know what you are called to do is extremely important. That you're just not a Christian wandering aimlessly, waiting on the Lord to take us home in the rapture. There's no rapture rocking chairs. What we are after salvation is men and women with a call that is far more important than anything that we do physically, our job, our roles and families, or whatever the case may be. 
as important as they are in this aspect, the call that God has on our life supersedes all of them. And it's important to know and to recognize and then be able to run the race, understanding what's coming against us, understanding how hard it's going to be, understanding it's not going to be fun all the time, but not looking at the disappointment and the hardship, but looking ahead to the joy that is set before us, just like the Lord looked ahead at the joy that was set before him. So it is important, because as you leave this place, many of you will hear a voice that says your call is not important, that what you are doing is not important, that your role is minuscule. But your involvement in your son's life to get him to the point where he is reaching out to be uh, restored to his father, that is important. That's not, well, I didn't speak to 100 people. Sometimes speaking to one is more important because it took one person, a Sunday school teacher, to reach out to a Sunday school student. That Sunday school student ended up getting converted and then speaking to millions. That Sunday school student, Billy Graham. That Sunday school teacher, most people don't know his name. But yet that work in being obedient to the call of Christ was so important and look at what it generated. You have no idea the actions, the response that you will get from being obedient to God. Some of it you won't even see until you get to the other side. But you are just as important as Billy Graham or even Billy Sutton. So I hope that you take from this as you go out and said, I have a race. I have things that are trying to hinder me and I need to lay them aside. I have something that I'm called to do and it's important. And be like the Lord Jesus. I must be about my Father's business. Would you all lift your hands for the benediction? Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, let the church say, Amen. Amen. You have a work to do. Let's get to it. Cool.